You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the Locked On Marlins podcast, your go-to daily podcast on all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton. I'm a longtime Marlins writer, as well as a prospect writer and analyst. Happy Friday, May 28th, and in today's episode, ahead of the Red Sox series, we got interleague play going. It's going to be fun. It would be a lot more fun if the Marlins were at full strength, and that's what we're going to talk about here as Miguel Rojas now hits the shelf as well. He joins Brian Anderson and a few others that we have talked about time and time again as we're just hoping to see some of these guys get back. Starling Marte is making his return most likely this weekend. He was pulled from his rehab assignment in Jacksonville, which would point towards him most likely. I don't know if it's going to be today. I don't know if it's going to be Saturday or Sunday. I would assume it's either going to be today or Saturday, meaning Friday or Saturday, because again, you're not pulling him from his rehab assignment just to make one start in this series or just to be a bench bat. I just don't really see the purpose of that. So I'm assuming... He's going to be back in the fold, which is huge because I could not bear to see Magnara Sierra in the lineup one more time when you have Jesus Sanchez hanging out in the minor leagues, which is another thing I will discuss as well. The Marlins call up Luis Marte, so we'll get our first look at Luis Marte, the infielder who was swinging it pretty well in Jacksonville. I don't think he's going to bring you very much. He's not the most exciting player in the world, but he is having one of his better stretches in the minor leagues, not saying much there either, but I will say that there are some things I want to point out with Luis Marte where he's improved and whether that can translate into the major league level or not remains to be seen but there are some positive indicators from the 18 game stint from Marte that he may be able to provide a bit more with the bat than he has in his lengthy minor league career before but frankly there's just not that much information on Luis Marte because he was never really a top 30 prospect never a highly regarded guy more of a minor league depth piece and uh, now we're seeing him become a major league depth piece because the Marlins need help that badly. And uh, I'll give a little bit more insight on him and then a little bit more on just the Marlins lineup heading into this series and previewing the Marlins-Red Sox series where a decimated Marlins lineup will be squaring off against the best offense in baseball in terms of OPS and a lot of different offensive categories. However, the Marlins do have some of their better arms going in this series, so that should somewhat make it interesting. Cody Poteet will go Friday in Game 1. He's not one of their better arms, but he has been as of late, no doubt. Then Trevor Rogers in Game 2, that should be a lot of fun, and Sandy Alcantara in Game 3. So, some good arms going for the Marlins right now, and a good test for Cody Poteet, right? We saw him build on each start, but you know, three starts is not the biggest sample size ever. I've been really encouraged from what we've seen. The changeup movement is legit, and the fastball velo has been higher than we've ever seen it. So there's a lot of reasons to be encouraged from Poteet's improvement. That being said, he also just pitched against a Mets lineup that was a quadruple A lineup. So now this will be a really good test for him against a loaded Red Sox one through nine. That should be a lot of fun. Uh, as long as the Marlins aren't getting pulverized, it is a fun challenge, and I am really eager to see how Trevor Rogers stacks up against it because a lot of really good right-handed hitters in that lineup. Of course, they also have some good swinging lefties as well with Rafael Devers as well as uh, Alex Verdugo in right field, but I really am interested to see how he competes against guys like J.D. Martinez, guys like Xander Bogarts, and some of those pieces that are tough to get out, and it should be quite some fun to watch. So I want to start with 
with just some of the important conversation pieces that you all wanted me to discuss because I put out on Twitter and just said, you know, what questions do you have about this decimated roster ahead of this Red Sox series? A lot of good questions, a lot of good conversation, and I'm going to try to touch on all of it. I think a lot of the topics are things that are really important, but also keep in mind that there are a lot of teams that are dealing with a ton of injuries right now. I know the Marlins are up there with some of the most uh, battered teams in baseball, but it's still super early. No reason to panic. And I will say that ahead of these games that the Marlins have, it's worth noting that they play the Red Sox for three. They play Toronto for two. It's going to be a tough five game stretch, no doubt. But then they have Pittsburgh for four, the worst team in baseball, and then Colorado for three, who could be competing with them to be the worst team in baseball. And that should be at least a little bit of an opportunity for the Marlins to settle in as hopefully some players will return from injury around that point. Eliezer Hernandez should be back around that point. And that's another really important topic as well is that the Marlins will finally have a complete rotation. Not their complete rotation because Sixto Sanchez won't be back, but assuming Cody Poteet is legit enough to anchor that five spot as Eliezer comes back, they'll finally have a five-man rotation, which is one of those things you take for granted, right? I guess I never thought I would be grateful to just have five starting pitchers, but the Marlins will have that coming soon, I would assume on June 4th when Eliezer is eligible to be uh, activated from the 60-day IL. So let's get to some of those questions and topics ahead of the preview of the series where I'll dive into some of the Red Sox numbers and information uh, on the Red Sox, who again have been really, really good offensively. So the number one theme here and the one thing that I think I have to start with is Jesus Sanchez and consistent questions of why isn't Jesus Sanchez on the roster? When do we think we'll see Jesus Sanchez on the roster? And all types of questions centered around the Marlins best hitting outfielder right now in the minor leagues and understandably so when you're hitting well over 400 with seven home runs. And not only the Marlins best hitter in the minor leagues, he's one of the best, if not the best hitter in the minor leagues right now on almost every single statistic. So why have we not seen Jesus Sanchez? And one of the questions was great. It was, you know, why have we not seen Jesus Sanchez yet? And give your answer with Without using the word service time, to which I responded, would you like me to flap my arms and take flight next? Because it's impossible to answer that question without highlighting service time. It's, it's exactly why we haven't seen him. And this was something that I talked about with Eli Sussman. I was shooting him a quick text and I'm like, Eli, because if there's one thing that Eli is fantastic with, managing editor of Fish Stripes, not only just managing and editing Fish Stripes and growing it to where it is, but he is really good with all the nitty gritty within baseball. And I was like, you know, help me out here. Let's talk about Hazel. Sanchez's service time and why the Marlins haven't called him up yet. And service time can be a bit tricky and a bit weird, and baseball still has to sort that out for a lot of reasons. One, they need to sort it out so things like this don't happen, where we see prospects not get called up for the sole purpose of keeping them for an extra year. And from a standpoint of, you know, the Marlins just using the system to their advantage, I get it. Also, if you want to keep Jesus Sanchez for an extra year, assuming he's going to be uh, the hitter that we think he's capable of being and what he's starting to look like, then it makes sense, right? What's the rush? to call him up a week or two earlier than you should or you could when you can have him for an extra year. That's the Marlins' perspective. For me, it's just brutal to watch this team play and watch Magnaris Sierra out there all the time. And 
and some of the other options that the Marlins have had to put out in the outfield instead of calling up the hottest hitter in the minor leagues. But you can understand it from a Marlins perspective, whether it's right or wrong. It's a baseball problem. It's not a Marlins problem, and it needs to be sorted out. But as I was talking with Eli, he brought up a really good point around Jesus Sanchez is that he already has accrued 52 days of service time. He had his short stint in the big leagues last year, which we remember wasn't great, but it was a very short stint and he was kind of thrown into the fire. He's also made some very good improvements at the plate. That point aside, he also started the season this year on the IL. And when you're on the IL on the 26-man roster injured list, you can accrue more days of service time. So as Eli pointed out, his service time total is up to 52 days, where if you look at the date that would make the most sense to be able to contain that control of an extra year through 2027, it would make sense that his call-up date would be June 8th, the start of the next homestand. So it would probably be positioned as we're going to call up Jesus for the homestand and he's going to make his debut in front of the fans at Marlins Park. They don't give a crap about that. Come on, they don't care about that. But if you just have to survive for a couple weeks to get yourself an extra year of Jesus Sanchez, not only is that valuable for your team because you don't have to pay him as soon, it's also valuable as a potential trade chip to have that extra year of control if you get to that point down the line as well. So the Marlins are going to do that. They're going to try and figure it out and navigate in the meantime. And we're probably going to see Magnara Sierra rolled out there. And we're probably going to see Starling Marte uh, probably rush back a little bit too early for that exact reason. And I'm okay with seeing Marte back if he feels good and he's ready to go. That guy's a warrior and I want to see that guy in the lineup, but I just do not want to see Magnara Sierra. So assuming Marte is back, then it makes sense to just wait a bit longer on Jesus Sanchez because the only way that it made sense right now for Jesus Sanchez to come up, and it would have made sense a couple weeks ago after this lineup that we've seen for the last few weeks, that instead of playing Magnara Sierra in center field, you could have put Duvall out there there, who's one of the defensive war leaders, albeit not in center field, but if he's that good in a corner, we saw him in center, he's good enough out there, and the offense is the premium for the Marlins right now, especially with the way they're able to pitch, then you put Duvall in center, you could have put Sanchez in right, and then Dickerson in left, and that would have been good enough for now, and then now that you have Cooper swinging it, you can probably platoon Cooper, Sanchez, and Dickerson, and just ride the hot hand of the two lefties there between Sanchez and Dickerson, but right now, Dickerson is ice cold, the Marlins aren't going to call up Sanchez, and it's kind of a moot point now, because Starling Marte is going to be back either today or Saturday, so at this point, it's more so just, how are the Marlins going to navigate these injuries, and that's kind of the pivot here, so Jesus Sanchez doesn't really help you uh, navigate these injuries whatsoever unless he can play third or he can play second base, which he can't play either. So the Marlins are going to have to call up Luis Marte as they have, and Marte is going to be manning the middle infield, I'm assuming. We'll probably see John Birdie at third, and then we'll see where Jazz Chisholm's at. I hope that Jazz Chisholm's healthy. That is a huge difference for the Marlins in a lot of ways. I would rather have Jazz Chisholm playing and jogging and just taking his swings and playing instead of whatever the alternative would be for the fish. Quite frankly, that's where I stand on it because they need offensive production and he can leave the yard. As for Luis Marte, though, there are some encouraging things that we've seen from him this year in terms of the power output. And for him throughout his career, hitting is is not really the forte for my man Luis Marte. He's a glove first guy. He plays really good defense at shortstop, can play second base. I'm sure he's capable at third as well. Well, but he has 
always been a player that doesn't strike out a lot and has kind of followed that same mold this year. Strikeout rate only at 18%. Obviously not going to walk much, only a 3% walk rate. And that's relatively above average for him throughout his minor league career. He's more in the 2 to 3% throughout his minor league career. 87 WRC plus is probably above average for him in his minor league career, which kind of tells you what kind of hitter he is. But that being said, a little bit deflated from a low BABIP, just 267 in the BABIP category, despite hitting 263. And for reference, he hit 260 last year in AAA across 86 games with the Braves with a 328. BABIP. So he's swinging the bat better than he did last year. He's also swinging the bat for a lot more power. His isolated power number is more than doubled. Instead of 0.087, 0.193 in the ISO power, he already has three home runs in 18 games. He had five home runs in 86 games last year, and he had two home runs in 45 games the year before that in AAA. So there's definitely more of a power output. And it's because he's just hitting the ball in the air more. He's taking advantage of the big league baseballs that have a bit more carry, and he's hitting the ball in the air. I mean, in previous years, he was hitting fly balls at about a 30% rate, as high as a 38% rate, but never higher than that. Now a 54% fly ball rate, which is probably a bit too high, but I'd rather see him try and drive the ball and do something instead of just rolling out ground balls and hopefully hitting some flare line drives to get through. His home run to fly ball rate is by far the highest it's ever been, so that tells me he's hitting the ball with more authority. His infield fly ball rate is the lowest it's ever been, and he's driving the ball to all fields a bit more than ever. He was pretty pole happy, which is not what you want to see from a guy that already isn't really supplying much power to be pole happy, but the pole rate is the lowest it's been in a long time, maybe in his entire minor league career, or at least since his stint with Texas back in 2016. So there are some encouraging signs, but albeit in only an 18-game sample size, but I will take the fact that he's driving the ball a bit more, he's driving it to all fields a bit more, and I'm totally cool with your fly ball rate going up when your home run to fly ball rate goes up as well. If a higher percentage of your fly balls are leaving the yard and you're hitting more fly balls, I'm down for that. That means more home runs. So we'll see if that sustains. It's only three home runs in 18 games, but it is a lot better for him. And there's no way around it when he's hit five home runs in entire seasons in previous years, and he's already well on his way to beating that. And the BABIP is pretty low for him. So we'll see. I mean, I think it's definitely the best version of Luis Marte that we've seen throughout his minor league career, albeit I have not seen a ton of Luis Marte. He's already 27 years old, but maybe he's putting it together in his later years. We saw John Birdie do that in the minor leagues. We saw Harold Ramirez do that. So maybe Marte can be a similar type of player, albeit Birdie and Ramirez put up much better numbers in the minor leagues, but Birdie was never really that big of a standout guy in the minors either. So I'm excited to see how Marte looks. I'm not maybe excited is a strong word, but I'm not absolutely just dreading him getting called up. It's not like he is this undeserving guy. He's hitting decent enough in AAA and the situation demands it, which kind of leads me into the other question, which was, why Luis Marte? Are there any other options? Are there any better options? Of course, they could go do something like trade for Freddie Galvis, like I talked about, but that's probably a bit too soon for that, right? I would love to do that, but that's also the armchair GM here that wants to see something more exciting done than just calling up a journeyman minor leaguer. You know, that's obviously something I'd rather see, especially when you're being so conservative with your prospects like Jesus Sanchez and you want to, you know, manipulate the service time and, and do those things. I also think that you could get somebody like Freddie Galvis for so cheap and he would help you in the meantime. You know that it's going to be a while. 
for Miggy Rowe. It's going to be a while, at least a month probably. Uh, hopefully I'm wrong on that. You know it's probably going to be a month for Brian Anderson. So why not go get somebody like Galvis, who you know you can get for pretty cheap? As I mentioned in the last podcast, Moen's got Jonathan VR for Easton Lucas, albeit Jonathan VR's contract was a lot less interesting. It was pretty expensive, but also Freddie Galvis is not producing nearly at the rate that Jonathan VR was when the Marlins acquired him. So I think for the Marlins here, it's obviously rushed to just go out and try and force a trade for a middle infielder, but I think we could see them go make a trade for an infielder sometime soon in the next few days. Uh, I don't think it would be that crazy. I think the Marlins are looking at this like we're a few games out of 500. We're not that far off from first place. The rest of the NL East is banged up. Let's try and go get somebody that can help us stay afloat in the meantime. I think that it's a no-brainer to do that. You obviously have to call up somebody in the meantime because you're not going to just be able to make a trade, like I said, and just wheel and deal and bring someone into town ahead of this series. But I think the Marlins are going to be looking. I think they are. Just because they called up Luis Marte doesn't mean they're not going to make a move. I expect them to, especially with Isan Diaz struggling to the degree that he is. And that was also another question that I got was, is he starting to break out of it a little bit? I know he did have that home run rob from him. He has hit a couple balls right at people. No, he's not. I, honestly, and I've made my case pretty strong for not wanting to see Jose Devers in the major leagues. I would much rather see Jose Devers in the major leagues than watch Diaz swing the bat anymore. He's two for his last 20. He's checked out on the base paths. I just don't enjoy watching him play. He's a low effort guy at this point. He seems kind of checked out. I'm not really uh, on the Isan Diaz train anymore. Let's look at other options here. And Jose Devers put a couple good swings on balls last game. I mean, he has looked a little bit more comfortable and maybe he'll get acclimated a bit quicker than I think he can. I think he still needs a lot more time in the minor leagues, but right now, and I know I was just talking about how he shouldn't be up here, but since I talked about him not being the best option for this team, Miguel Rojas has gone down, Josh Chisholm has sprained his ankle, the timeline was revealed on Brian Anderson, so a lot of bad things have happened since I talked about that, and if we're talking about Devers or Diaz, give me Devers because Devers is a much better defender. He's faster. He's going to put the bat on the ball a bit more and he's just going to play harder. I'll take that any day of the week and I'm all here for a Devers v. Devers uh, series. We'll see, I think, an even more uh, enhanced version of Jose Devers trying to compete with his brother, who's one of the best hitters in the entire league, but that should be a lot of fun too and a cool little storyline in this series. I'm going to answer a few other questions and talk about some of the topics as well as preview this Red Sox series. Also have some interesting information from some pretty solid sources about where the Marlins are scouting, and I think that will be pretty interesting to talk about with you as well. Before I get to that, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Lucy. Lucy Nicotine is a company founded by Caltech scientists and former smokers looking for a better and cleaner nicotine alternative. Finally, a tobacco alternative that doesn't suck. Oh, I see what they did there. That was that was a good one. Good one, Lucy. Well, anyways, they've researched and developed for three years to be made for people, not patients. Lucy has created a nicotine gum with four milligrams of nicotine that comes in three flavors, wintergreen, cinnamon, and pomegranate. They also have a lozenge with four milligrams of nicotine that comes in three flavors, cherry ice, citrus, and mint. Lucy lozenges and gum are FSA and HSA eligible, so you can use your FSA cards to purchase Lucy now, and it's convenient and discreet. Their products can be enjoyed anywhere, on flights, at work, on the go, or even in the gym. 
Jim. It's 2021. Get rid of your cigarettes, unplug your vape, throw out your dip, and go get some Lucy nicotine gum or lozenges. This is the real deal. A subscription at Lucy comes directly to your door each month. It's so simple. You don't have to even leave your house because Lucy has the delivery down. Go to Lucy, L-U-C-Y dot C-O, Lucy dot co, and use a promo code locked on MLB. That's one word, locked on MLB, to get 20% off all products on your first order, including gum or lozenges. That's lucy.co and using the promo code LOCKEDONMLB, lucy.co. Also brought to you by Wealthfront. Day trading can be a lot of fun, but if you want to grow your long-term wealth, then you should team up with Wealthfront because decades of data show that investors who trade individual stocks underperform the market every single year. In fact, only 1% of day traders beat the market. The odds are not in your favor if you're doing it alone. Team up with Wealthfront instead. Wealthfront can create a portfolio of globally diversified, low-cost index funds personalized just for you in minutes. No manual trades, no picking stocks, no watching the stock market every single day. They automatically handle all the investing based on preferences you control. Wealthfront can even help you lower the taxes you pay as you invest. Wealthfront is trusted with over $20 million of assets, and you can get your first 5000 managed for free by going to Wealthfront.com backslash LockedOnMLB. That's 5000 managed for free for life at Wealthfront.com backslash LockedOnMLB. All you need is $500 to get started. Go to Wealthfront.com backslash LockedOnMLB and get started today. So back to your questions on Twitter and then of course previewing this series with the Red Sox and I can kind of just sense the hysteria um, from Marlins fans right now in these replies and I get it like it's a little bit crazy also the heat are essentially bounced from the playoffs barring a miracle and the Panthers got bounced so it really is a baseball town now I hope it is I hope people start to pay attention to the Marlins a bit more as they are a really fun team to watch when they're healthy and right now they're not but I can understand why people are like okay what's going on how are we going to tread water here how are we going to stay alive and I get it so that kind of leads me into the other question which I gently touched on ahead of the break but I want to dive into a bit more it's what are some options that the Marlins can go after here to kind of help their infield situation. If it was a day-to-day thing or even a 10-day IL, which I think some of these players will be going on 10-day IL, but they're going to be out for what is between that 10-day IL and the 60-day, so you're not going to put him on the 60-day because that doesn't make sense. You're, if he comes back in 30, 35, 40, even 50 days, you're going to kick yourself for putting him on the 60. So I think the Marlins are going to be putting a couple different guys on the 10-day IL, but they're going to be out for much longer than that. And if that's the case, they need to probably go get some infield help. I love Freddie Galvis, as I've mentioned time and time again, but that's probably a bit lofty. So what are some minor league options maybe that have some big league experience that could be ready? One of the guys that I really like that I think could help this team is Carlos Asuaje, and he is a St. Thomas Aquinas alum. He started with the Padres, was a pretty high-end prospect, pretty highly regarded. Uh, I like Asuaje a lot. He's a great dude. I've had the chance to talk to him and uh, had the chance to talk to him ahead of the season. He's with the Dodgers right now playing in AAA. He worked really hard to get himself ready for this year, and I honestly think that he is one of those guys. Is he going to move the needle? No, but he's a lot better than some of these other options. I think he's a better choice than Luis Marte. He's more well-rounded than some of these other players, has the big league experience, and is just a more polished hitter. I think Asuaje is guaranteed to just give you more competitive at-bats, can offer a bit more, and offers that versatility. He's an interesting option. Christian Colon 
is also an interesting option. 32 years old and is with the Blue Jays right now in AAA. He's having a great year in AAA for them, as an older player should. But that being said, he is he's looking really good. And he's had some good stretches in the majors at times. He has plenty of big league experience as that utility reserve type of guy. But so far this year, already has five home runs in 16 games, a 187 WRC+. Plus. He's hitting 357. And that kind of leads me into something that was interesting. And I have no idea what to make of this because there's a lot of different ways you can unpack this information. But a very trusted source and somebody that's incredibly reputable within the industry, let me know that the Marlins have had an obscene amount of scouts and cross-checkers at just about every single AA and AAA game for the Blue Jays, like to a ridiculous degree that it stood out to him. And I thought that was kind of interesting. What does that mean? Are the Marlins getting some extra looks at Christian Colon, who's in AAA for the Blue Jays? Maybe not, but why are the Marlins looking at some of these Blue Jays minor leaguers? I mean, it could just be their due diligence, but I think it's kind of interesting that the Marlins have had some extra guys there. What do the Blue Jays need? They need some pitching help. I don't know what the Marlins would do. Maybe they trade a Cody Poteet instead, or maybe you have a prospect for prospect type of deal, which you don't see very often, but the Blue Jays do have some prospects that the Marlins could very much use. Gabriel Moreno comes to my mind first and foremost, and is probably my number two catching prospect in all of baseball. I've been on him for a while here for locked on MLB prospects before he was hitting 400 this year just one of my favorite catching prospects in baseball and he's kind of reaffirmed that with his performance this year if the Marlins were to maybe trade uh, one of their higher end pitching prospects for a Gabriel Moreno I wouldn't be upset with that because Moreno I think is big league ready by the end of this year I think he could be in the big leagues right now he's super super young but I think he's that polished and is ready to go he's got everything going for him good defense really advanced hitter a pure hitter by every stretch and a great receiver who handles the staff really well and keep in mind he's handled some really good pitchers he's done a really good job with Simeon Woods Richardson who's one of the harder pitching prospects to handle in the minor leagues because he has five different pitches that just break in five different ways and he's got some crazy stuff and I know scouts have been really impressed with the way that Gabriel Moreno has been able to handle Simeon Woods Richardson, which you think about with the way he would be able to handle a Sandy Alcantara who has that similar type of stuff or a Sixto Sanchez. So that is interesting. And of course, Trevor Rogers. So I am very intrigued by that. It could just be getting their due diligence done on the prospects while looking at a Christian Cologne, or the Marlins could be thinking about doing some sort of prospect for prospect trade that could help the Marlins long-term and could help them now. I, I always like those kinds of deals that can help you. And I know we saw the Marlins do it with Zach Allen for Jazz. Maybe there's something going along with that. I don't want to see them trade from their big league arms, personally. I don't want to see any of them go, except for maybe if you want to sell high on Cody Petit. But I thought that was some interesting information that uh, is worth discussing and something worth watching and can kind of get your mind going a little bit, see what the Marlins can cook up there if there's any merit to what they're doing. I know there's truth to the fact that they are there, but I don't know if there's any merit to the fact that maybe they're just doing their due diligence on scouting across the minor leagues on a team that they know will be buyers uh, come deadline if the Marlins are sellers, unfortunately. That could be what it is because the Jays have a lot of high-end prospects and we know they're going to kind of try to push their chips forward. I mean, they traded Griffin Conine for two months of Jonathan VR. They are aggressive right now. They called up Alec Manoa really quickly, though he was big league ready. So definitely something worth thinking about. And maybe they're doing their due diligence. Maybe there's a little bit more to it. So keep your eyes peeled on that.
Also, getting back to now, just previewing this series in general because a lot more questions were kind of geared towards the series, and I will get to answering some of those questions in just a second. One last message from Built Bar, who wants to let you know they've got nine delicious flavors, and you probably know it by now. What are they? All covered in chocolate. They're all easy to chew, great for a keto diet because they're low in sugar, low in fat, low in carbs and low in calories, but they're high in protein. And what else would you want from a protein bar? They've got flavors like coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, and several others on top of the occasional limited time flavor. They all are right around 130 to 180 calories. And if you go to BuiltBar.com right now and use a promo code LOCKED15, that's LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. That's LOCKED15 for 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. So let's wrap up with a little bit of Red Sox talk here as we look ahead to the series. I mentioned the pitching matchups. We got the Poteet test tonight as he takes on Martin Perez in a loaded Red Sox lineup that leads the major leagues in OPS. Then Trevor Rogers versus Nate Eovaldi, old friend Nate Eovaldi, who's hot and cold. Sometimes he'll come out there and shove. Sometimes he'll get shelled. I mean, with the way the Marlins are hitting, I'm assuming he'll shove, but you never know. And then Sandy Alcantara versus Eduardo Rodriguez. I'm so happy to see Rodriguez back on the bump. He's looked pretty good overall. But the one thing the Marlins do have going for them, uh, and this is a healthy Marlins, so we'll see, but they do swing the bat a bit better against lefties and get two lefties in this series so we'll keep an eye on that but it is going to be a challenge for the Marlins no doubt about it but the one thing the Marlins do have going for them in their favor a little bit is the fact that this red hot Red Sox offense has cooled off ever so slightly it has not been the best stretch for some of their guys I mean JD Martinez is slumping a little bit one for his last 12 Bobby Dalbeck 0 for his last 11 with 8 K's when you look across the board from old friend Kike Hernandez He has been slumping a little bit, but the Red Sox lineup is just so good that they can work around that even. They can work around some of the slumping. And despite the fact that over their last two series, they're hitting just 168, they're still slugging six home runs. They're still somehow able to put up some runs. And that's going to be the challenge for the Marlins is that they get one swing of the bat and you might be chasing three runs. And that is a daunting task for the Marlins right now. So that's going to be it. Can they limit the damage? Can they limit the long ball and try to keep the Red Sox in a little bit of this slump that they've been in, or at least for some of their main players have been in? That's going to be the challenge because the Red Sox, you know, they don't have the best pitching in the world. I don't think anybody is going to argue with me on that. Nick Pavetta has been a pretty good story for them. Probably been one of their better arms, if not their best arm, along with Garrett Richards. Marlins avoid both of those guys. Martin Perez right there with both of those other guys as well. It's like a cluster for who is their quote unquote ace. I'm sure Red Sox fans, because they love Martin Perez, will say he's their ace, but he's got a 250 opponent batting average, a whip over 1.3. He has been living on the edge with the 3.55 E. ERA, but that's a guy that's beatable. He's beatable, but he's also very capable of shutting down the Marlins, so we'll see. But it's not like they are, you know, facing Chris Sale or anybody like that. Nate Eovaldi, also very hot and cold, 4-3-9 ERA in 55 and a thirds. He has probably been better than Martin Perez, the whip, sub 1.2. But another guy that's giving up an opponent batting average right around 250. So, again, not the most unhittable guy in the world. And obviously, the Marlins have some better arms going, but that hasn't seemed to matter that much in the past. We've seen the Marlins get shutout when they have the heavy pitcher advantage. Sandy Alcantara just got uh, no run support and they just lost 2-0 to Vince Velasquez and that's like a microcosm of everything. The guy that the Marlins always beat up on shuts them down and they get no run support for Sandy Alcantara. So screw the pitching matchups. I mean, I'll always talk about them because it's worth highlighting and discussing as it's my job to preview the series, but 
but I've gotten to the point this year where it's like pitching matchups don't really matter uh, for this team generally when they have their advantage on the bump. Uh, it doesn't seem to matter too much, and they don't seem to put up too much offense, even against guys that they seem like they should, and then sometimes they hit against guys that it seems like they shouldn't hit against. But the one thing the Marlins do have going for them is that the offense has not been red hot. But for the Red Sox, you know, they could just heat up in this series and and light them on fire. So we'll see. It's going to be interesting. I would love to see the Marlins take two out of three. That would be a dream because then they'd be right back at 500 and then have a nice stretch ahead after the two games against the Blue Jays, who, by the way, are red hot. 13 home runs in their last, like, five games. And they'll have to deal with Alec Manoa as well. They'll also have to play in Dunedin, which is a launch pad. I can't believe how the ball flies out of there, especially because the Florida State League is a miserable place or was a miserable place to hit in. But Dunedin was the one exception. I think there's just got to be a jet stream straight out in Dunedin and the ball just flies out of there. So that will be a fun series, even with a limited Marlins offense. I think they'll be able to produce. So we'll look forward to that. But in this series, I think the recipe for the Marlins is really good starting pitching. Just keep the Red Sox offense in check and then hope for some good situational hitting in the late innings or strike early and try to keep the Red Sox in check. It's going to be a lot of battle of the bullpens, in my opinion, because I think the Marlins offense is going to be held in check no matter what. And the Marlins pitchers overall, maybe not with Cody Petit, but I think Trevor Rogers as well as Sandy Alcantara should be able to compete and try to keep the game close. And it's going to be up to the Marlins to try to squeeze across a couple runs. The Red Sox bullpen surprisingly been decent this year. It's among the better third in the league, not that far off from the Marlins. 3.59 ERA puts them inside the top eight teams, I believe, and the Marlins are at 3.54. So it's not like the Red Sox bullpen is this glaring hole that it was last year. However, I think the Marlins can get to them. One of the steady themes that has continued through this year for the Marlins is the two-out hitting. They score a lot of runs with two outs, and they're going to need to do those kinds of things to get to the Sox in the series. You can do it in three games. Let's see if they can take two out of three. They have two of their better arms on the bump. Let's see how it goes. But it's going to be a challenge to score some runs. Bear with us. We're all going to be in it together to see how this team can produce. But hopefully we'll have a unique kind of situation, maybe where Luis Marte is hot out of the gate. Or, you know, the Marlins are able to just kind of have some good situational hitting and make some things happen. Cooper's been really hot. Assuming Cooper's healthy, that will be a huge jolt for the team. Adam Duvall doing his thing where he goes hot, cold, hot, cold. He's super cold again all of a sudden. And if there's one thing about Adam Duvall is he's consistently inconsistent. But right now would be a great time for him to have one of those hot stretches, especially with the way I could just see him peppering the ball off the wall and, of course, putting it over the wall there. He can get away with some of those deep fly balls that don't get out and those types of things because you only have to hit it 330 feet, 320 feet straight away to left to hit it off the wall. You see some balls with maybe the lowest expected batting average hit that wall and end up as a double or a single because of the just the weird dimensions of Fenway Park. So we'll see if some of those lighter hitters or some of those slumping hitters can take advantage of that. Anyways, it was a fun episode today answering the hysteria as I totally understand it, but We'll get through it. It is still so early in the season. We're not even in June yet. It's still May. The Marlins will start to get their reinforcements back, and slowly but surely, they'll be healthy. One other question, though, that I did get was, what do the Marlins do when Sixto eventually comes back, and they have Eliezer healthy, and then Cody Poteet, let's say he's still throwing well? That's a phenomenal question. That is a phenomenal question, and I don't necessarily know the answer to it yet. Maybe find a trade partner. Maybe hold him as some depth, have him out of the bullpen as a swing man. There's a few 
different things you can do. I think out of the bullpen, he could do pretty well as a middle reliever and swing man because his velo will play up even more. As we've seen his velo jump this year, he's up to 93, 94 at times touching a five. The changeup works really well. He can do that two pitch mix and probably run it up to six or seven, 96 or 97 if he's coming out of the bullpen. And then if you ever need someone to fill in to start because you know Eliezer and Sixto have some health issues, that's not the worst thing in the world. But what about when Edward is starting to knock on the door? And what about if Max Meyer is ready towards the end of the year? That's where it's going to get interesting. And we'll see if the Marlins decide to uh, try to make some moves and get creative, but that'll remain to be seen. Anyways, a lot of fun things ahead. While it may not be the most exciting Marlins lineup in the world, I always love watching the Marlins play at Fenway Park or Wrigley Field or, or of course, Yankee Stadium. The two AL teams being the Red Sox and the Yankees, we don't get to see it too often. So let's enjoy it regardless. I always like watching the Marlins play in Fenway Park. Hopefully they can squeeze out two wins. As always, thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you on Monday.